Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. one was uh, the, the top of all of them. Everyone likes the first one, but then the second one, they're not so friendly. That's a dangerous setup right there. Well, Matt thinks he's the smartest. I mean, he's been on the earth quite a bit longer than everybody else, so he probably is. The smartest of the group is definitely Denny. He just probably asks the most questions and um, always wants to know the most, but uh, he also will tell you he knows the most. That is just a sample of what you're going to hear today on NASCAR America. Hi, everybody. Carolyn Mano, Parker Kligerman, and Nate Ryan with you. Greg Biffle, Kyle Petty going to join us in just a moment. But we start today with Kyle Larson getting a big win last night. Larson using a last lap pass to win a World of Outlaws sprint car race at Eagle Raceway in Nebraska last night. Larson was driving a car co-owned by his friend and fellow Cup Series driver Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Here's the call from the exciting finish. This was Larson's first outlaw win outside his home state of California, Parker. He just loves racing anything he can get his hands on. That's the best visual example of what has made him so good in the Cup Series, using that high line on the dirt to win a race. Classic Kyle Larson. <laughs> well, on the Cup Series side of things, Kyle Larson just a single point behind Martin Truex Jr. for the overall lead in the standings. After 26 races, the regular season champion going to receive an additional 15 playoff points. But while Larson and Truex battle for the points lead, Dale Earnhardt Jr. battling right now just to find his groove. Earnhardt currently 23rd in points. He is coming off his fourth DNF of the year. Earlier today, Dave Burns spoke with his crew chief, Greg Ives, about the ongoing struggle in the 88 shop. Well, when a weekend doesn't go the way that you wanted it to, everyone looks for answer. Driver, crew chief, engineers, and of course, Greg Ives is in charge of that for the 88 team. What did you all first look at in terms of the problems you had transmission-wise at Pocono? Well, first of all, you got to look at what's different, what what has changed, and, and what has transpired. But you know, looking at uh, the system, the the transmission, the the way the the shifter that Dale uses, uh, nothing was different than what he has had in the past. So from from that point, I look at ways to try to prevent it from happening in the future. Uh, a lot of this can happen from just personal experience. You know, I sat in the car Monday morning and went through. A, I don't know, hundreds of shifts just trying to understand what he's feeling in the car, uh, try to simulate maybe a, a, a racing uh, scenario. Uh, the nice thing about having in-car camera and all, all the technology we have now, we can kind of understand what situation Dale was in. Uh, you know, he's on a restart. He had uh, a teammate in front of him, teammate on the outside, and uh, racing hard off, a, off turn three and trying to get that uh, shift quickly and a lot of different things going on. So just trying to understand that, how I would fix it if I were shifting and, and being in the car, and that translates, translated to some of the things that Dale wanted as well. So we're just going to look at uh, improving that, going to get in this car as quick as we possibly can, get you know, allow him to feel it on in practice and qualifying and a regular race scenario. And, you know, we have a couple uh, big tracks with uh, Sonoma and Watkins Glen for shifting as well as going back to Pocono. So uh, confidence and uh, knowing that we're working on it and uh, going to make it better. So will it be more junior-centric or more car-centric that you're going to change or work on? Uh, yes. Uh, it, you know, it's. It, I, I think... It, for it all to work, uh, we have to change both sides, and we have to have uh, buy-in and understanding on, on what's being changed and why, and, uh, um, you know, it just has to flow and has to work. It's not, it's not going to be perfect the first time out, um, but in the end, uh, muscle memory allowing us to uh, get it in the car as, as often and, and as quickly as possible is what's going to allow us to uh, make it successful, and everybody here at Hendrick Motorsports dedicated to do that. A lot of junior fans look at Daytona coming up and say, next awesome opportunity. Do you 
focus on that at all or try not to focus on Daytona? Well, you know, you look at every track the same, I feel like. You know, you look at uh, Michigan, he's had two wins there. Sonoma, we ran really well in the last few years there. Um, you know, I felt like we had an opportunity to win without a late, late race uh, incident with Carl Edwards. And, um, you know, so we, we, we go into each track um, with a lot of confidence. And, you know, I, I think that confidence comes from uh, preparation and effort. Uh, we've been doing a lot of that uh, pre race weekend um and and i wouldn't say any more or any different but just uh just attacking it in a in a different manner and with a different mentality so um you know i'm excited about going to Mich michigan and getting to sonoma so uh daytona you know is a couple races off and we can't focus on that we gotta do our deal um you know in in, in the race to to follow i know you want that playoff win though let's talk about this weekend coming up biggest challenge for you at michigan Michigan, it's just, uh, you know, it's a, a, a tough racetrack as far as the, uh, trying to understand the speeds that you uh, carry there. Um, it's a it's pretty wide racetrack that got narrowed by the repave and, and the harder tires, but we're going uh, back there with a, a similar downforce package that we were able to experience last year on similar tires. So uh, you got some history, you got some experience. Uh, you know, we were able to <clears throat> run with Dale in uh, last year's spring race and, you know, have a, a pretty decent car. We just got to uh, get that commitment and get that uh, effort level on Friday to get that uh, qualifying uh, result a little bit better than we, where we started last year. And I think we'll have a good w race weekend. Well, we wish him the best of luck on that full rebound from last weekend. Uh, he mentioned it earlier, two wins for Junior in his career at Michigan. We're now joined by Greg Biffle and Kyle Petty. Greg, we'll start with you on this. So I'm saying that nothing changed in the setup, which is essentially what Junior noted right after the race. How do you explain what happened to him at Pocono? Well, I'm telling you, it's very, very easy to make that shift. You know, you saw the in-car camera, and you see how far his arm is over, and, and that, that shifter is parallel with the, with the car, front to back. So your natural instinct is when you pull that thing is to pull it towards you when you're trying to pull it backwards. It's kind of an unnatural uh, position. It has a spring in the shifter that allows it, it keeps it over in the third and fourth gear gate. And I've pulled it into second gear many a times in my career. It's it's easy to do, and you know it's uh, it, nothing has changed from the team side. Yeah. I'm yeah. telling you, the, the seating position, or maybe the the stiffness of the spring. I don't know how many times I'll tell you that the team said nothing's different, yeah. but something's different. And, uh, you know, that just that natural ability to pull is not working uh, for him in that particular situation. Yeah. First, I'm going to say this. Um, the only thing missing from that interview was Simon Cowell and America's Got Talent, because <laughs> there was a lot of dancing going on in that interview right there. And, 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 that, and that, that was pretty amazing. But I'm going to say this. Drivers make mistakes. Yep. I, I don't know why we're making such a big deal about, about this. He made a mistake in practice, and it shook his confidence. And I think that's a lot of it. Junior has not had the year that he wanted to have so far. So his confidence is already shaken a little bit, I believe, personally. And, and when you get in that situation, he's put in the situation. You heard Greg say he's behind a teammate. He's got a teammate in between him or, or on the inside of him. He's trying to make something happen, but he's not as confident. You don't go as hard as you want to go when you, when you get ready to pull that thing back from third, back in the fourth gear or whatever it is. So I, I think it's a simple mistake. As Greg said, the car probably hadn't changed. As Greg Ives said, the car hadn't changed. Junior as a driver hadn't changed. They made a mistake. His confidence is shaken. They need to go on and say, okay, we're going to do something. Junior's going to do something. That'll build his confidence back a little bit, and maybe we won't see, see it again. Kyle, I agree with you on the confidence side. I think that's something that we don't always put a lot of stock in when you think about maybe a driver who goes out there and struggles on restarts a little bit. And then they have when they go up for a restart, and I can tell you for myself in this same scenario, you start to think about it more. And that allows you to make a mistake. But one thing that wasn't brought up in that interview, and I saw it on Twitter, was Dale was asked by a fan about the simulator. And obviously drivers are spending a lot of time in simulators with the, the manufacturers put a lot of money in this to allow the drivers and the teams to prepare for the weekends more. Well, that simulator can be just a little bit 
different. And if he's spending time in there, his muscle memory that you heard Greg Ives talk about and that muscle memory that Greg was just talking about, that can change a little bit. And then you get in the real race car, and it's just that little bit different that can be the difference between getting in fourth or having it go in second. So they also need to look at his time that similar and make sure he's doing the same motion as he is in the race car. Nate, something you brought up on the Monday Morning Donuts podcast a couple days ago with Parker and I, we were all discussing this exact topic are we forgetting the impact that being out of the race car and the loss of muscle memory and the brain injury may be having on why he's not performing the way that he's used to? You know, I think so, Carolyn. I think Kyle just spoke to it right there that it, it did sound a little bit like you had to read between the lines of a reality show television type <laughs> moment here that there was a lot of tap dancing going on there and there were a lot of things when you go back through it and try to, you know, parse what Greg Ives' words were there. The two things I took away were nothing was different from the past and what you just said, Carolyn, muscle memory. Okay, so what is different? A Dale Earnhardt Jr. who missed the last 18 races of the 2016 season, who didn't race the last time NASCAR went to Pocono. He wasn't in the race car, so it, it had been a year since he'd been shifting like this at that track. And I think that we have overlooked the fact that he has come back from a really significant injury that required a lot of re rehabilitation. And I think the fact that Greg Ives is talking about muscle memory, it, it could just be a case of rust. I mean, you would know better than I, Parker, you and Greg and Kyle, because you guys drive race cars for a living. But I can't imagine that you can just take a half-season break and come back and be flawless for the first, you know, three months you're in the car. There's no doubt that there's, you know, getting out of the car can take away some of your natural feel of what you normally do in that race car. You can take away some of what you normal force you were always putting the, on the, the lever to get into fourth gear, especially if the team has made some maybe adjustments in the gearboxes that they don't even realize are different from last year, as Greg was going into. So I think all those things combined with time in the simulator, combined with time out of the race car, all those things encompass how you could go out there and make a mistake after being a driver that's been at this level for so long. But Kyle, we have seen examples of drivers be able to do that, no? Yeah, we have. Yeah, you, we've seen Kyle Busch uh, set out for so long, comes back and wins the championship. I mean, and when you when you look at that, we've seen Tony Stewart. We've seen Daryl Waltrip. We've seen Bill Elliott. We can go through the list of guys who set out a number of months and came back and got in a car and won in the first four or five races. I, I think the, the thing here that we have to go through is Earnhardt Jr.'s injury was a totally different injury than what we've seen in the sport. It's not a broken bone, okay? It's not something that you just do rehab and come back. We know how hard he's worked just to get back to be Dale Jr., to be able to walk and talk, to walk through that garage area and do the things that he wants to do. So is he a little bit rusty from muscle memory, as, as we heard Greg Ives say? Is he a little bit rusty in some of those places? He probably is. Uh, and I, I think we have to accept that. He's probably accepted it. The team has probably accepted it. And we have to go back. It was just a mistake. We can beat this horse as long as you want to. But Kevin Harvick made the same mistake at some point in time in that race. He just didn't break an engine, but he made the same mistake. Kevin's not injured. Just made a mistake. Drivers make mistakes. I know that's hard for people that watch NASCAR America <laughs> to believe that a driver makes a mistake, but sometimes mistakes are made. I've never made a mistake. Okay, <laughs> there we have it, ladies and gentlemen. And I disagree with Nate Ryan. I could sit out six months and get back in the car and be just, I could win at Michigan this weekend. But listen, I think I, I agree. We're over, we're over analyzing this. Uh, what you guys, what, what, what everybody has to remember here is that Dale Jr. has been shifting that transmission since Daytona, okay? The, the transmission and the shifter is the same as he raced last week and the week before at Dover, and he didn't pull it from fourth gear yeah. to third gear at Dover, or, or fourth gear to second. So this is the same transmission, the same shift package, just because it's a different gear ratio doesn't mean that the shifter's different in a different location. So he hasn't done this all year. He did it at Pocono twice. I'm weighing on the side of Junior. Something is a little bit different inside the car, and, and he made the mistake twice. I've done it myself and said, guys, we got to change the third gear gate. Yeah. You have to hold it over there because coming off the carousel corner, when I pull the lever, I'm getting into second, not fourth. Yeah. And, and so I think something was a little bit different. And I think we're we're making a bigger yeah. deal about it. Well, as as the journalist, I'm going to disagree with the, my two friends in Charlotte <laughs> and take up for the viewers of NASCAR America and say to Kyle and Greg, it, it's a big deal because it's Dale Earnhardt Jr. It's because yeah. it's the 14 time sure. most popular driver. And as Kyle noted, he had done it two days earlier and he's coming off 
a really significant injury that caused him to miss half of the 2016 season. I think it's okay to have this type of attention and focus because of the personality in question. Kyle's right. Kevin Harvick did the same thing, didn't get nearly the same attention. Of course, he also didn't suffer an engine failure, and we might be talking about it more if he had. And there were other guys in that race, I'm sure, who also missed shifts. But the fact that it happened to Dale Jr. twice in three days, and he's coming off of the most significant injury of his career, it's it's naturally going to be a conversation starter. I disagree with Kyle because I'm perfect as well as a driver. So that just makes <laughs> perfect sense, right? That there's, we never make mistakes. Something was wrong. I'm on Greg's side. It was not a driver error. Something was wrong in the car, and drivers are perfect. Crew chief, you got to get it fixed. None of you are perfect. Absolutely no. none of you are perfect. Um, all right. Well, the only thing that we do know out of this for sure is that many people are pointing towards Daytona as Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s one final chance to get that win to secure that playoff berth. Uh, Greg Biffle's first Cup Series win came at Daytona in July of 2003 and in last year's race he actually won the poll that race featured in today's countdown to Daytona we are just 17 days away from that date and from NBC Sports coverage of the NASCAR Cup Series Brad Keselowski led a race high 115 laps including the final 17 for his first cup win at the World Center of Racing it was also team owner Roger Penske's 100th victory in Cup Series competition it was a special night for the captain and also for Brad Kay later on in the show we are going to tell you how Keselowski he has enlisted a team of stars to give back in his home state. Plus, Kyle is going to sit down with Ryan Blaney, the big winner from the weekend. And Bubba Wallace is going to provide some more details on why he passed out shortly after getting out of the car at Pocono. So all that's still to come. But coming up next, we are going to go deep into the heart of Texas as our 50 states and 50 shows pulls into the Lone Star State. Fireworks and rodeo clowns, not these clowns. Next. And that is racing at Texas in a nutshell. It is always bold, always brash, and always very memorable. And fireworks have become a rite of passage at Texas Motor Speedway. The fast track has been a staple of hard racing since its inception back in 1997. And the scope and the size of TMS is matched by the enormity of its personality. Here's Ken Squire for more perspective on the Lone Star State. There's no need for cliche descriptions of everything being bigger in Texas. That's just how Texas is. It is a speedway with swagger, a structure built on showmanship. Honestly, the biggest thing about Texas, the track is fast. Everything builds off that. Speed becomes scale. Scale becomes spectacle. No cliches, no exaggeration, just excitement and plenty of it. So work your way, Mo, work your way, Mo, one more time. This Fort Worth track broke the mold of mile-and-a-half ovals. The inaugural 500 is won by South Boston, Virginia's Jeff Burton. There's an energy, not just in the racing, but how this facility is run. They haul out the big guns for Victory Lane, and anyone that wants to win this race has big shoes to fill. This is the toast of the town. Now wait, did I say no cliches were necessary? I guess I just got carried away. That's easy to do when you think of the fights. Holy The finishes. That's Texas Motor Speedway for you. What do you think will happen this time? Don't be afraid to use big imagination. After all, this is Texas. And Texas Motor Speedway's 84-acre infield can hold the stadiums of every pro sports team in the state, plus Texas A&M's Kyle Field, the largest of those venues that you see, AT&T Stadium, home of the Dallas Cowboys, of course. TMS can hold four of Jerry's Worlds right inside its walls. And about 60 miles east of Texas Motor Speedway is where we find our home track for today, the fastest dirt in Dallas. That is Devil's Bowl Speedway in the suburb of Mesquite. It's a half-mile oval. 
It hosts racing from March through October with marquee classes, including sprint cars and modifieds and factory stocks. And notables that have raced there include legends like Jeff Gordon and Steve Kinzer. And the track was run for more than 40 years by the late Lanny Edwards. Edwards passed away last year at the age of 76. He was a pioneer in American dirt track racing. And in addition to being a co-founder of the Chili Bowl Nationals, Edwards really played a role in starting the World of Outlaws series. Devil's Bowl hosted the very first Outlaws race in March of 1978. And the Lone Star State has produced some of racing's all-time legends like A.J. Foyt and Johnny Rutherford and the Labonte brothers. And actually, did you know that the soft drink Dr. Pepper was created there back in 1885? Now, motorsports may be big in Texas, but the official state sport is the rodeo. A few years ago, Eddie Gossage brought the rodeo to Texas Motor Speedway. One of you two decided to ride a bull. I already know who it is. Which one of you was it? Maybe Kyle? It was me. It was me. Not a great decision. Not a great decision. Well, you were on there for a little while. Yeah, it seemed, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, here, here I'm still kind of on. I'm kind of off. It's about, what, five seconds yeah. in? Here I missed a shift. <laughs> I, I missed a shift right here. <laughs> I am down for the count right there. I'm telling you, that's a big bull. And when you're at that angle, that's not a good angle right there, dude. That's bad. So, it was a lot of fun, though. It was fun. So did they tell you, like, right as you were about to open up the gate, hey, you can still get off this thing? Yeah, he did. He tapped me on the helmet, and he said, listen, he said, there, there ain't no shame in getting off this thing. And I said, I've come this far. Let's go. <laughs> he said, just nod your head, and we'll open the gate. And that's what we that's what we did. Greg, you're way too smart. You're way too smart yes. for something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I would have. I, absolutely no way. That, I, 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 I said a minute ago, drivers make, make mistakes. That's just another one of my mistakes right there. That was just another one <laughs> of my mistakes. I remember I said I'd never made one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, coming up next, uh, Kyle's going to sit down for more than a second with the newest cup winner. That is Ryan Blaney. He's going to tell KP about life as a winner and if he thinks that he's merging past with present while racing with the Wood Brothers. That conversation coming your way next. That was pretty neat to, to hear his voice right away. And uh, you know him. He's not a very kind of an emotionless guy. And it was cool to hear the joy in his voice and uh, him to be pretty happy and, and proud. And, you know, as a son, that's all you want. Ryan Blaney by a car length and a half over Kevin Harvick, looking to bring the Wood Brothers to victory lane for the first time at Pocono in a long time. He has the lead coming off turn number three. He holds the lead to the line, and 23-year-old Ryan Blaney will score his first career win here at Pocono Raceway today. The Wood Brothers making their 60th start here. Ryan Blaney making his third, and he scores the win in the Pocono 400. A well-deserved Cup Series victory for Ryan Blaney on Sunday that has been in the making for quite some time. Our Kyle Petty sat down with Blaney at the Hall of Fame earlier today. All right, Ryan, it's Wednesday. Um, how's the week been? Has it sunk in? Uh, and how have you felt this week? Yeah, I think uh, the week's been pretty hectic, number one, and, and it didn't sink in until probably Monday night or Tuesday morning. Uh, we were starting to do some media stuff, and uh, things have kind of, calm down a little bit and like wow we're you know we just won for the wood brothers we're locked in uh we won at pocono for the first time since 1980 uh for the wood brothers when neil bonnet won so that was that's probably the day it sunk in but it's just been great it's been great we had a, a luncheon today at the wood brothers racing yeah. shop and uh it was just great to see everybody and uh and thank them again for for all that they did and uh, you know they're still pumped up and it's nice to know be on top really all week and then you go to the racetrack the next week and, and you know that you were the team to beat last the, the previous race <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited and it's michigan week so yeah. that, that's a huge deal for ford and the woodbows to go up there so we're gonna go try to get them number 100 that'd be pretty neat try to explain to us truck win xfinity win cup win yeah uh so the truck win came came pretty early it was my third start when we did our truck win i was like ah, that's gonna be easy and then it was a while before the next truck win and it took us uh even longer for the xfinity win and then way longer for the first cup win uh, that's just the competition that you know you step up and there's a lot more teams that can go win there's a lot more drivers that can win week in and week out uh so now you know you win in the cup series and it's really all you want to do as a kid yeah 
I watched my dad running cup forever, and even though he didn't get a cup win, is, is what I always wanted to do was race on Sundays, and that's all I really cared about and dreamed about, and, and now to have it a reality and, and make it happen, uh, and then you just throw in with a great team like the Woodbillers, it makes it extra special. Um, so this is definitely probably my, my favorite win, of course, so far, and um, hopefully we can keep going. You know, Dale, Jarrett, and I have been on NASCAR America all week, so and we both drove for the Wood Brothers. And what fascinates me about the Wood Brothers um, is they are the old team that straddles the present and has you for the future. Uh, so they've been able to adjust and, and to be relevant in every decade that we've been in. Um, you are that new driver. You are that social media guy. At the same time, you grew up with your granddad with your uncle, uh, with your dad. Uh, so you've got that same grassroots and that same, that same feel for the sport that the Wood Brothers has, that the Wood Brothers have. How has that helped you be a part of that team? Because Eddie Wood said something the other day uh, in, in a post-interview. He said, he's a good, good guy. He's good people. He comes from a good family. And that was important. I think what makes the Wood Brothers and, and our family go together so well is just we kind of come from the same background is we're just racing people. Uh, and my grandfather was a racer before my dad. And, um, you know, the Wood Brothers, Eddie and Len's dad, Glenn, was a racer. Uh, and it's just been in their family for generations and uh, decades. And I think that's what kind of lets us bond so well and, and have so much in common. Uh, and for us to get along so great is that's all we knew growing up. And that's all we still know and all yeah. we care about. Uh, and so that's why I think that it goes so well together. And I'm just really lucky to be with a great team and a great family uh you know they're not only great race car drivers uh, and great pioneers for the sport but they're also great people yeah and and what they've done outside of racing is pretty special you know i, I obviously i grew up in a in a home with a race car driver so i didn't have to look too far for my hero you didn't have to look too far for hit your hero uh just around the corner inside the same house what did dave say he was the first one uh i called i figures you know we we're pretty close to Pocono in my you know, hometown at, in Ohio where my dad grew up, and I had no family at the race on Sunday, which is it just figures. But uh, he was the first one I called, and I call him after every single race. He's usually the first one I call after every race just to kind of break down the race of you know what he thinks, what I could have done better, what I think, uh, just kind of how it played out. And uh, that was pretty neat to, to hear his voice right away. And uh, you know him. He's not a very kind of an emotionless guy and it was cool to hear the joy in his voice and uh him to be pretty happy and, and proud and you know as a son that's all you want and um it was a shame we couldn't have him there but hopefully we can get him out to another one but you know, like i said he's my hero for sure and and he'll always be the the greatest race car driver in my mind and uh the one who got everything started for me and who helped me along the way and we really wouldn't be anywhere without him you know i saw a picture on uh, a couple of photos on twitter where everybody seemed to be over at your place, um, and everybody has congratulated you on the first one. I can tell you from past experience, everybody loves that you win your first one. Everybody hates that you win your <laughs> second one. So I'm going to go ahead and warn you yeah, on that one. Right. But what was that like to have just the team, Earnhardt, Stenhouse, Danica, the whole group? That was really special to me. Uh, you know, I looked up to Dale a lot growing up, and I still do. And to become friends with him has been really special for me. Uh, so to have him out, you know, Ricky's been a great friend of mine uh, ever since I got into the NASCAR scene. He's a great person, comes from a dirt racing family, uh, took that route like my dad did. Uh, and then even after the race, you know, in the cool-down lap, when everyone's giving you a thumbs up or rubbing on you uh, on your doors, and that makes me feel good. You know, from young guys to, you know, veterans who I loved when I just was starting to get racing, uh, that was surreal to me to see that support. And then to have the 43 car with Bubba driving it, pulled up next to me. He was the last one that pulled up next to me, and that was pretty special to share that moment on the track with him with his first start and my first win. Uh, it just makes you feel good as a person inside to know that everyone supports that. I I do agree with you, though. I bet uh, <laughs> everyone likes the first one, but then the second one, they're not so friendly. But, um, no, you got your first one for the Wood Brothers, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. So that's cool. We got that in common. Yeah. That's awesome. That's right. All right, here's my here's, question is, I saw Earnhardt posted a, um, a photo of two or three coolers of beer. Was that really from Dale or was it from Amy? Uh, it was from Dale. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it was, it ended up being four coolers and uh, like 11 or 12 cases. It was unbelievable. 
he took it back yesterday. We all cleaned up, and uh, there was so much left. It was unbelievable. <laughs> but uh, that was super nice of him to do, and I didn't get back till really late, and I didn't get back till midnight, and um, I wouldn't be able to go out and get anything. So he he was a that was a solid move right there for him to supply that stuff. That that was another thing that meant a lot. Is he was he was ready to go, which is cool. One more question. This is and and you mentioned Baba um, from the standpoint of the forty three. Where do you think the Blaney-Wallace rivalry from the 21 and the 43 ranks with the Pearson-Petty rivalry? Pretty low. (laughs) Uh, uh, Pearson-Petty rivalry will always be, I think, personally to me, one of the greatest. Uh, But it was really neat that we were able to get our pictures before with with the Woodbellers and then Richard and and all the team members. That was pretty neat. But to me, in my mind, the the Pearson-Petty rivalry will always be the best. And I think, do you agree? Yeah. Do you think oh, so? For me, look, yeah. you, you know for me. Yeah, I, I was I, a Pearson fan. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, uh, that, that's pretty neat. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely say that that would be the greatest, that would for always ever be the greatest rivalry in NASCAR. Yeah, congratulations, man. The, Thanks. the first one's the hard one. They come, a, a great race car driver uh, named Dale Earnhardt told me the first one, second one comes a lot quicker. So look forward to uh, it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> We appreciate him sitting down with you, Kyle. Let's start with you. Uh, your impressions of how he's doing this week after his life has been changed by a win this past weekend. He is doing phenomenal. I'm, I'm going to tell you what he, what he said when we sat down. And I asked him because he seemed a little bit tired, to be totally honest with you. And I said, have you been put through the ringer this week? And he said, I didn't start until Tuesday. Monday, we have our competition meetings. Monday, I need to spend time at the shop. And that's what he did. He did not let this win overshadow going to Michigan, and running the rest of the season. And I think that speaks volumes for Ryan Blaney and who he is. And you heard him say in the interview, you know, my family, the Blaney family, are just like the Woods. We race. That's what we do. That's all we know. And and that's all this kid knows. And and that is what is truly, truly uh, special about him. I think when you talk to him, he shows up in a Wood Brothers hat and a Ford F-150 T-shirt. He goes through the motions. He's a little bit of a throwback to Dale Jr. when you look at it like that. He knows the social media. He's a little bit forward-thinking on things like that. Uh, But at the same time, he has a tremendous amount of respect for the Wood Brothers and the history of the sport. Yeah, I think he's done a tremendous job with that opportunity. You know, when that when that team was aligned with Roush and then moved to Penske and how hard they've worked, you look at some of these other drivers that have gotten these opportunities, Chase Elliott getting in the 24 car. You know, yeah. you, you look at how hard this team has worked and how hard he's worked as a driver and stayed focused and, and dug deep. They really, really, I'm so happy and proud of what they've done and what he's done behind the wheel. Uh, these guys deserve it more than anything. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, going forward, you know, we talk a lot about Kyle Larson and all these new guys. Going forward, these guys are they are going to be, they have been competitive. But I'll tell you what, the confidence of yeah. winning a race and then going back to the racetrack. To a track like Michigan, this car is going to be fast this weekend. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him challenging for the win uh, come Sunday again. Kyle, you mentioned social media, and I can't help but notice going on social media the last couple of days how big this win was for the sport, and not just in terms of Brian Blaney's association with the history of the Wood Brothers, but I literally think the, the media surrounding him being a young driver in an iconic car like this, going out winning, has been on par with a guy who wins the Daytona 500. He's everywhere. Everything out there is everyone's talking about it. Everyone's uh, you know tweeting or writing articles about how what this means for the sport, and I think that's been really impressive. But the thing that strikes me about Ryan Blaney is not – that he's driving the 21 car, and that's what makes this important, and that's why he likes the history. He really knows and understands and looks and researches the history of the sport, and that's why it's been important for him, and that's why he's garnered the fan base that he has, because people can see when it's genuine, when he really understands what's going on there. And when in Victory Lane I got to talk to him, he mentioned watching old races at Pocono from the 80s with Dale Jr. He's watching the old races. There's not many young drivers that do that, that really go back and understand exactly what was happening back in the day and then are able to kind of be cool about it bring the retroness into the sport and go out there and be successful at the same time it's that whole all-encompassing uh 
mantra of his that has made him cool, and that's why it's been such a popular win. Yeah, I agree with you, Parker. I think he does blend the old and the new in a really good way. And I think Kyle did a great job with that interview. But I think he's right that he did seem a little bit tired. He did come off a little bit subdued. And I think if you're a fan watching the interview and you're wondering, well, can this guy really be you know, the next great star? I don't know if you get it from that interview as much as you get it from social media, as much as you get the savviness that Ryan Blaney has on his podcast. And if you, I would encourage everybody. I mean, I think he, he, he showed a wonderful side of himself in that interview of being gracious, being humble, being grounded, joking with Kyle about, you know, their, their Wood Brothers connection and, and really showing respect. As you mentioned, Parker, he's got that. But I think there is another side to, to Ryan Blaney that people need to see on Twitter in the podcast. The Star Wars fan, a little bit of a nerd. Uh, he, that, I think, is who likes what, beer. A nerd yeah, who likes beer. That, obviously. That's what, that's what has NASCAR marketers salivating at the prospect of this kid being in the spotlight. I think if you can't sell him to the fan base out there, then you can't sell anyone. There's no hope for the sport. There's no hope for the future of this sport because he is a very cool, very understanding, a very marketable, intelligent race car driver that's also really good at driving race cars. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I'm going to tell you, what I got just sat and talking to him, and this he touched on a little bit in the interview. Um, I don't think it comes across sometimes... Uh, and, and it's hard. It's hard for a guy. I, I think it's hard for macho race car drivers or guys to to put into words how much the 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 pat on the back, the acceptance from their father on how much that meant. His dad talking to his dad on the phone, uh, I, I think, meant so much to him. He wanted to win for his dad. He wanted to win for his family. He wanted that win to mean something and his dad to call him and say hey good job man and, and i know we're all that way when you're when you're pitching ball in the backyard or shooting hoops you want your dad to say yeah that's that was good kid you did a good job and i think that that really shows what this kid is all about he is grounded uh and he is ready to go forward and, and you know what i think that ties into the older fans and to the fans that love the dale juniors and love Earnhardt senior and love richard petty and and pearson and guys like that and his social media savvy ties him to the new guys. Yeah, I got to spend a lot of time with him uh, being from the Ford camp and, and being in a lot of team meetings and doing Ford functions and, and you know, go-kart events. And he's just a, he's a, he's a great guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's fun to be around. And he's, he's, he's on social media like you guys talk about. He's, he does fun stuff away from the racetrack. And he likes beer. So who, who doesn't like yeah. beer? <laughs> uh, I mean, he's got all the qualities, right? Yeah. And he said he just wanted to make his dad proud, like Kyle said, that he will always yeah. be the greatest driver in his mind, which is really poignant and also authentic. Well, the first one to meet him in Victory Lane was his mentor, Brad Keselowski. So coming up next, we're going to show you how Brad is giving back to a special group of people and what he said about his future with Team Penske. Welcome back, everybody. The Verizon IndyCar Series is on NBCSN right here. And as the title race heats up, IndyCar going into the Wisconsin woods. It's the Kohler Grand Prix at Road America. That is Sunday, June 25th, right here on NBCSN. Well, across the border in Michigan, Brad Kozlowski and his Checkered Flag Foundation continued its support of our nation's veterans. Last week, the foundation hosted a successful fundraiser for the building of a new Fisher House in Ann Arbor. And the house is going to host veteran and military families at no cost while their loved ones receive treatment. The Checkered Flag Foundation is a 501c3 started in 2010 to give back to our nation's veterans. That's really what the Fisher House is about giving the opportunity to the to the soldiers that that uh, have been wounded in battle to to have a place where where they can heal. I'm very proud of Brad and his Checker Flag Foundation, and what a beautiful spot to do what he did here today. So Nate, really a star-studded day in Michigan with Brad Kozlowski and his foundation. Yeah, more than 125 people were there, Carolyn, and he had some hitters there. As you saw, not just Mike Hilton, but also uh, Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, his Penske teammates, and Jim Harbaugh, Michigan coach, uh, Detroit Lions GM Bob Quinn. You know, Brad Kozlowski, being a Michigan native, was able to pull a lot of people from the state, and they did good. They, they, they raised a lot of money for what essentially is like the Ronald McDonald House mm-hmm. for families who have loved ones in military hospitals. It, it raised money through a silent auction, a lot of charitable uh, efforts there. And obviously the Checker Flag Foundation, as we heard Brad say, very near and dear to his heart. This is a guy who flies the American flag after every 
victory that he gets, and he does it for a reason. It's because he's, he's very patriotic. It's interesting to see him have that star-studded cast there because I was there at the beginning of the Checkered Flag Foundation with Brad back in the uh, 2011 time at BKR, and we didn't quite have that star-studded cast to start, but it's good to see it grow and where it's gone, and he's stuck with it, and it's really doing yeah, good things. Yeah, absolutely. That's ultimately the goal, and hopefully they are doing a lot of good things for families who need it. Um, he's going to be racing for his second Cup Series championship this fall, of course. So far in 2017, he's earned two wins and 12 valuable playoff points. Kozlowski in his eighth full-time season with Team Penske in the Cup Series. And on Tuesday, he talked about his future with the team as his contract is set to expire at the end of the season. I can tell you that uh, I've gone a long ways in my life and career with the help of Roger and all Team Penske, and, and I hope to continue to do so. Uh, so that I think that's all I can really say at the moment. Roger's given me a lot, and I have no reason to not want to stay with him. Okay, so Brad Nate saying that he wants to be back with Penske, um, but did he leave the door open just slightly? And if so, why would he be doing something like that? This was about the third time Brad Keselowski has been asked about his contract, Carolyn, in the last month. And this was about as definitive as we've seen him be about staying at Penske. But I still feel like he left just a little bit of wiggle, wiggle room, Parker. And the reason for that, I think, is simple. It's one word. It's leverage. There is an open ride at Hendrick Motorsports, the 88, for next season. Brad Kozlowski drove for Hendrick before he went to Team Penske. When he left, Rick Hendrick indicated he would be more than happy to have Brad Kozlowski back at some point. Brad Kozlowski is not just a driver like all of these guys. He's also a savvy businessman, and he's got a truck team to provide for. And he knows that you want to get the best deal possible, and you do that in a negotiation, Parker, by keeping your options open. So I think that is why we're not hearing Brad Kozlowski say, yeah, just put the contract in front <laughs> right. and I'll sign it. Whatever you want to put in there, I'll sign it. I can tell you from experience, he's up against one of the most notorious negotiators <laughs> in the world, being Roger Penske. He's not got the name, the captain, and been as successful as he has been in business without being a great negotiator. But I think when you look at what that what Brad has done for that team. I remember him coming into Team Penske, and there was a famous story where he showed up with a, a, long, a long rap sheet of all the things he wanted to change and all the things he wanted to implement into the team. And that ultimately led them, as Roger and him clicked through that list, to going out there and getting that championship in 2012. So they both have done a lot for each other. I think there's a lot of mutual respect out of those two. But as, of course, in any negotiation, having leverage, having that ability to kind of you know, get your way a little bit is only going to help, and especially when you're up against a guy like Roger Penske. Yeah, those tactics not uncommon, even if you like each other. Let's um, let's just stay in the Ford stable for just a second. Danica Patrick is coming off her two best finishes of the season. That included a top 10 at Dover. Earlier today, she was in Boston to promote next month's race at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, which you can see right here on NBCSN. And she took in the sights with a group of elementary school students to explore some of Boston's historic landmarks, which included, of course, a ride on the Swan Bo's part of a full day for Danica Patrick. She spends a lot of time working with charities and interacting with fans, but she did face a little bit of scrutiny last weekend for one particular encounter after qualifying at Pocono. And her teammate, Kevin Harvick, addressed that on his Sirius XM radio show, Happy Hours, last night. I feel like signing autographs is 100 a part of uh, my job description because it's just something that you should do. Well, look, there are going to be times that I walk right by you in, in the garage. Like this week at Pocono, I stopped and signed autographs. I didn't stop for the guy that, that had the 24 hat or the four, or, you know the, the 34 hat or whatever hat you had. I stopped for the people who have four or Bush or Jimmy John's or any little kid that has anything on his head, I, I will stop for and, and sign. And sometimes, you know, we're late for qualifying and, and we got to, I had to walk right back by because I prioritize. Yeah, you have to prioritize what you're doing from a, from a time management standpoint. But look, I sat Thursday night in a grocery store and, and signed autographs for, for an hour and a half, two hours. And, um, you know, I think those those are a much better place to get an autograph um, anywhere outside of the racetrack just for the fact that, you know, you're in, in a much calmer environment. And for me, when you're at the racetrack, you never know what the, the temperature of that particular driver is going to be. And that is usually based on how practice is going, uh, where you're going, how much time you have to get there. So there are a lot of things that you have to balance. But I believe signing autographs is, is definitely a part of what you do and a responsibility of, of every driver in that garage. So, Greg, you were an elite driver not that long ago in this exact environment, in this new age of social media and fans and having that kind of interaction on a regular basis. What is your reaction to what Kevin Harvick had to say? Well, Kevin's right. You know, hit the nail on the head. You, you don't always, 
you know, you're coming into somebody's work environment and you're trying to think about air pressure or spring rate or, you know, where you got to go. Your PR person's telling you you have seven minutes to get, you know, out to the grid. You know, there's all kinds of things happening and it's very fast paced. And the one thing that, that kills you when you're walking by or you're so is the fan yelling at you. Just just one autograph. I just signed one. Well, there's there's. You know, 75 people stand beside yeah. him. And I'll jokingly walk up and sign that guy's autograph. The people that, and you just, you just want me to sign yours, right? Yeah. No, no one else is just yours. Well, you know, just one. And, and it's hard. You, you can't stop for one person. And if you don't have time to sign for, for, you know, at least 20 people or whatnot, you have to keep going, get to the car, and then when your obligation's fulfilled, then you can sign some autographs. Yeah, and, and you know, we, we spoke about this yesterday, and, and I, I think Kevin's spot on. I, I think, and, and Greg's saying the same thing. Once you, stra- once you put that uniform on and you drive that race car and you have a fan base— that that is part of your job. Now, you may not have time all the time to walk over and sign 75 autographs. And the best thing to do is if you can't sign 75, don't sign any. Right. Just keep walking. That was the issue that I had yesterday watching that little bit of footage was she walked past and then came back and gave him a speech and then walked on. I look at it kind of like every time I get stopped for speeding. Just write the ticket. I don't need the speech. Okay, just write the ticket. <laughs> that, that's all I'm looking for. So I, I, I think in this case that that almost every driver that we talk to will say, yes, as part of the job. Yes, she was having a bad day. And I do understand that. I, I, I understand that as a driver, as a, as a human being, I understand that she's having a bad day. But just keep moving. Don't put yourself in this position. I think she put herself in a bad position. Nate, what about this notion that other drivers, including her teammate, are commenting publicly on whether or not she made the right call? Well, I, you know, I think it's a different era, Carolyn, where now everybody has a soapbox. Everybody has a, a form of social media or a podcast. Or if you're Kevin Harvick, you have a Sirius XM radio show where you can go out and, and tell people what you think. So I think it's just natural that we're going to have more opinions being disseminated out there that we that we didn't have in the past. I don't think if this would have happened 10 or 15 years ago, we would have heard from other drivers unless journalists asked about it the next week at the racetrack. And at that time, you moved on to something else. I should, by the way, point out that, speaking of the media, Kyle Petty will be interested to know that Danica Patrick was asked about this today in Boston, and she said that I had a moment, and she also said that if she could do it again, she would have just kept walking. So I don't know if she watched NASCAR America tonight and heeded the advice of one Kyle Petty who recommended exactly that, but she is in agreement. Yeah. So a few times listening to Kyle Petty might be the right <laughs> move. Is there, is there an expectation with some of these um, more high-profile drivers that we've seen speak out on this, like Kevin Harvick, who has a radio program on SiriusXM, and Dale Earnhardt Jr., who now has a very robust following on social media, that in order to generate content, in order to engage with the fans, there's an expectation that they should voice their opinions when it doesn't have to do with them and offer commentary broadly on the sport. Well, I think it's especially true in Harvick's case because he admittedly says he likes controversy. He likes, I think that's one of the reasons that he started this radio program is he likes being in the middle of things. He likes expressing his opinion. He, he picks his spots at times, but he's a guy, Parker, who I think likes to kind of stir things up. And that's essentially what the purpose of this radio program is, is when there are controversies like this. If you go back and look at each of the episodes he's had each Tuesday, there's been one issue where he's addressed it. it would, I, I think that was definitely his, his intention here. Well, I just think back as you talked about where when this didn't exist, when social media didn't exist, when you didn't have Kevin Harvick's radio show and podcasts for the drivers and that sort of thing. And as that was a time when I was a fan and I wanted this information. I wanted to know what these drivers thought. I wanted to know what they were thinking during the week and doing during the week. And now you have that opportunity. So I'm not going to say at all that this is a bad thing that they comment because that's what's going through their mind. That's what they're thinking about. That's what they're talking about with their teams on the week and, and with their buddies. They're having these same discussions that you're now getting to listen to right. because he has a radio show, because the driver has a podcast, because he has a Twitter and can just put it out to the world. I love that, and I think it's a great thing for the sport. And if there is a little bit of controversy that comes from that, then so be it. But that's just another thing to know that this is what's going on within the sport 24-7. All right, we're going to dig into another set of teammates uh, next on the show. Joe Gibbs drivers winless this year. We're going to discuss where they stand on the track, plus a lighthearted Look at where they stand when it comes to each other. That's next. Who would give the best birthday present? Probably have to say Denny. Denny's not scared to spend that money. Probably Kyle. Um, he's not a cheapo like Matt. I haven't received any birthday presents from 
any of these guys. Yeah, give them the challenge to see who is more, you know, good. <laughs> NASCAR America is brought to you by Duluth Trading, tough, ingenious workwear designed and tested by tradesmen. Welcome back. The race to Miami continues. Ten different drivers have gone to victory lane in 2017. And amazingly, five winners from 2016 have yet to go to victory lane this year. Those drivers, Kevin Harvick, Chris Buescher, and three veterans from Joe Gibbs Racing. Joe Gibbs Racing is going to be the focus of our discussion now. So zero wins through 14 races. That's actually the first time that's happened since 2007. So let's pull them up and have you put them in order. Who do you think is poised out of that group to get the first win? Well, this is really easy to start. And the, yeah. the banner highlight for this Joe Gibbs Racing team has been the 18 car of Kyle Busch. He has an interim crew chief right now of Ben Bayshore, but they were in position position to win at Pocono. And really, the only thing that stopped this 18 car from winning recently has been circumstance. They have the speed. They've led 703 laps this season. That's the second most on the circuit. This team will find victory lane soon. I guarantee it. Now it gets a little more interesting. This is where it gets tough as we get into who will do it second. Well, you can talk about the experience of Matt Kenseth or the experience of Danny Hamlin, considering he's ninth in points right now. But I'm going to go with Matt Kenseth. And the reason being is that he's shown a little bit more performance here and better finishes in the last couple races compared to his teammate in the 11. And, the, and when you look at it, he's further back in points. But it's those recent performances that make me feel like the added speed we're seeing out of these Joe Gibbs racing cars is helping the 20. In third, though, I'm going to surprise probably everyone here, and I'm going to put the rookie, Daniel Suarez. And the reason being is he is on an upswing. This 19 car may be the worst in points of the four Joe Gibbs racing cars, but considering after the first three races where he had a very rookie start to the season, mm -hmm. he's been on a bit of a roll. He's been getting top tens. He's been finishing races better than he starts. That 19 team is on an upswing. If there's going to be a bit of an upset out of this Four drivers, he's going to find victory lane. And then I put the 11 all the way over here in fourth. And the reason being, he is really struggling for speed right now. That 11 car has been the hardest hit by the lack of speed in the Joe Gibbs Racing Stable. And, mo and wor most worrying has been in traffic. He has really struggled to pass cars in traffic. And where does he find himself most of the time right now? That is in traffic. I don't like what I'm seeing out of the 11 car. Although he's ninth in points, I don't see victory in his future. I guess the other big question, too, is how many of these drivers are actually going to get a win, besides the fact that who's poised to just get that first one. Just a quick note here about Daniel Suarez. His crew chief, Scott Graves, fined $10,000 for a lug nut violation that was discovered in post-race inspection at Pocono. So now that we have hit on the performance a little bit for JGR, let's see how the teammates performed when we quizzed them about each other. Now, what we've got are a series of questions and just asking about your teammates. We've been chatting with your teammates. You know them well. We'll ask the question, what, kind, what one kind of comes to mind? Who might be the one to show up to a meeting late? Uh, to show up in a meeting late. Uh, Carl used to be notorious for being late. I think that can be Denny. <laughs> when I first started, they said Denny was constantly late. Uh, I would be the only one late. Kyle would be second in line, but uh, I'm the latest for sure. So who is dubbed the smartest of the group? That's a dangerous setup right there. Well, Matt thinks he's the smartest. I mean, he's been on the earth quite a bit longer than everybody else, so he probably is. Who thinks they're the smartest of the group or who really is the smartest of the group? The smartest of the group is definitely Denny. He just probably asks the most questions and um, always wants to know the most, but uh, he also will tell you he knows the most. And who is the coach's favorite and why? I'm the boss's favorite. You know, I would say that, that Kyle is Joe's favorite, and I really have no idea why. Coach's favorite is Kyle, and uh, I think the reason why is just because he drives the number 18 car, and that was Coach's first car. And if anyone runs for political office when the driving career is over, who's it going to be? Well, Kyle's SOL when it comes to political office. He'll never get the votes. Well, I would say for sure Carl, but he's not there anymore, so. Um, I would have said Carl, but Carl's already gone. I don't know. I'd almost have to say Denny. You know, Denny really likes being involved in the, you know, the driver's council thing. and Probably Daniel, because he's, he's very popular in Mexico. Best at karaoke? Probably Matt. I'd say Matt, because he's probably got, you know, some kind of that rage in him that uh, he could probably bring out some Metallica. I think Denny. 
<laughs> I think Danny. I remember. I remember watching a, a, a video of a song that he did maybe a few years ago. Maybe he has a little singer on himself somewhere there. So. Who has or had the best pickup line? I have no idea. None of them ever tried to pick me up, so I wouldn't know. Who would pick up the check at dinner or skip the check? Denny would pick up the check at dinner, and Kyle would definitely skip the check, because Denny's not scared to spend money, and Kyle's pretty tight. Who would give the best birthday present? Again, I'd probably have to say Denny. Denny's not scared to spend that money. Probably Kyle. Um, he's not a cheapo like Matt. I haven't received any birthday present for any of these guys, so... So I'm not sure. I'm not expecting. I'm not expecting any good of any of these guys. <laughs> to be honest with you, but I don't know. I guess I will have to tell you the next time I, I get into my birthday and and I will, yeah, give them the challenge to see who is more, you know, good. <laughs> Suarez with his best Superman impression. The hands on the hips. I like it. Uh, coming up next, this day in NASCAR history could get somebody on the show a little bit heated. Can you guess who? We'll tell you next. Well, this day in NASCAR history takes us to 2009. Mark Martin led only one lap at Michigan, but it was the last one. The Hall of Famer taking full advantage when Jimmy Johnson and Greg Biffle both ran out of fuel on the final lap. This was Martin's fifth career win at Michigan. Greg, you did win at Michigan four times, so we shouldn't really feel that badly for you, should we? <laughs> yes, that was number five. Oh, well, Mark Martin has five. I have four. But I'll tell you what, you know, I was pushing Jimmy Johnson pushing Jimmy Johnson, uh, you know, trying to run him out of gas. And uh, sure enough, coming off turn four, Jimmy Johnson runs out of gas. But going down the backstretch, I run out of gas. So it uh, didn't do me a lot of good, did it? Did you hear the way she laughed when she said? Oh, yes, and, I and, did. And Greg Biffle <laughs> runs out of gas. Yeah. Uh, right there. Great job there, Carol. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for being here today. Listen, we are going to bring some better Biffle highlights later on in the show, okay? Good. So everybody, just relax. Perfect. Those are on the way. Not yet, though. Coming up next, Bubba Wallace is prepping for his next race in the Cubs Series. Dave Burns is going to ask him what's ahead in Michigan and also how he's feeling after a scary incident post-race at Pocono. We'll bring you that next. Welcome back, everybody. Darrell Wallace Jr.'s first Cup Series start was certainly an eventful one. He had three pit road speeding penalties before finishing the race a lap down in 26th place. And then after getting out of the car, Wallace fainted during a post-race interview. He was later checked and released from the infield care center. Earlier today, he reflected on the entire weekend. Once again, here's Dave Burns. So he's had a lot of first starts in his life, whether it was K&N or trucks or in the Xfinity Series. But how did this one compare when it all came down? This one was uh, the, the top of all of them. Um, my first Monster Energy NASCAR Cup start was, uh, was truly a special day, a special weekend. Um, enjoyed it. I was able to take it all in and, and really learn a lot from it. A lot going on around you, though, lots of extra interviews. How were you able to handle all that, and was it just your experience over the years that really lent to that? I really think it was experience, but you know, having the right people will help you through that. Um, was made it made it very easy, and I felt like I wasn't overwhelmed by anything. Uh, I was able to still stay focused on on what the big picture was, and that was just making sure we did everything right inside the race car, and not lose uh, lose track of my marks from switching back and forth from doing double duty. So um, I felt like it was okay. It went smooth. Um, the race could have played out a little bit better in my hands, but um, it was still a lot of fun. Yeah, it wasn't your biggest success in terms of finishes, but what did you take away? What were the primary things you took away from the weekend? The biggest thing was didn't hit the fence, didn't have to come back down pit road for damages, had to keep coming down for penalties. You came down a couple extra times. Yeah, for penalties. Uh, that was probably the, that was, was the biggest thing I've learned is working with these digital dashes are so much different than analog stuff that I'm used to. And all the cup drivers I've talked to have said, yeah, We've done our fair share of speeding on pit road because of the same reason you did. So um, we'll figure it out. But um, we brought home one piece, uh, just finished on a, a, a one lap down. Would have been cool to finish on the lead lap. But we ran all the laps that we could, uh, ran a good, clean, smart race, and that was the biggest thing. What will you change on the dash, or will you change? Uh, I'm just going to go try to work on some light stuff uh, here in a little bit and uh, talk to Drew and the engineers about how we can 
manage that a little bit better, uh, maybe give us a little bit more gap for error, or just uh, just really focus in on um, what we need to do and what I need to do to, to manage that gap from speeding to not. So at the end of the day, obviously a little overshadowed by the fainting spell at the end there, and you talked about it afterwards and mentioned the anger that you put on yourself, and that's happened a couple times before. So how have you pursued that issue so it doesn't happen or so you handle it differently in the future? Yeah, well, for me, growing up, I mean, I used to not care about what I eat, what I what I had to drink. Now I'm starting to look at that a little bit more. Um, like I, I talked to Harvick, and I told a lot of people, uh, the minute I got out of the car, I was fine. I think I did one interview, and it was totally fine. And then I don't know if it was just adrenaline just stopped, and just that was it. Like it was a split second right there. So I guess when you're a cup driver, when you say certain things, they stick with you a lot more than it would <laughs> in an Xfinity or a truck. So I'm like, oh, boy, I need to watch what I say. Well, I was going to say, are you kind of bummed that became the story? Yeah, I mean, it, it happened, and, and it's kind of been blown out of proportion, but it was kind of scary, though, for yeah. everybody. Yeah. Well, and then um, there was a party. Somebody yeah. won the race that was kind of special to you as far as a buddy goes. Yeah. Um, I don't know, necessarily want you to take us behind the curtain of the after party, but was that a lot of fun? Yeah, it was. It was good. Um, we were all pumped up for Ryan and uh, Dale, um, Amy were there, uh, Ricky and Danica were there. Uh, just had a lot of fun with really close friends, and we were... Uh, we were able to celebrate with him and his whole team being there and just had a good time. And when it becomes your first victory, let's not go there too quickly, but uh, same crowd invited or a little wider spread? Uh, absolutely. Everybody's invited to that. You guys here, everybody that's watching, uh, it'll be a big party. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll let that happen when it happens. For now, on to his second race, Michigan, this weekend. High speed should be as much fun for him. Dave, thank you. So, Parker, Bubba Wallace feels like his multiple feigning spells have been blown out of proportion a little bit now that he's on the Cup Series stage. But maybe the reason for that was because the offer, the answer he originally offered was that he was so mad that it happened. Now he's shedding a little bit more light that nutrition may have been involved. A learning experience. That happens for everyone going to the Cup Series, whether it's on the racetrack or in pit road or in the media afterwards. Obviously, there's more eyes, there's more media following you in the Cup Series, and that's what he learned there. I'm sure, as you heard from him, he's going to go investigate a little bit further, understand maybe some nutrition things, some hydration things he can do to be a little bit better prepared for the long races you experience in the Cup Series. And remember, that was a really hot day as well. So I think there was a lot of learning experiences there. And when you look at his day, he got an A-plus in the driving category. He was really fast. Top 15 speed with a car that maybe was a 20th place speed average throughout the season. He gets an F on pit road, but he's going to use it as a learning experience, and he learned about the media. Greg, what is it about the digital dash uh, versus the analog that is so difficult for a driver to make the jump to? The, you know, the, the lights are different than following the needle. And I heard some interviews this week, but really it's the latency issue. It's, it's the amount of time it takes for the, for the dots on the dash to catch up. So if, if you see a red dot, you let off the gas, it, it takes a minute for that, a second for that thing to start back down. You speed back up, it does the same thing. So, you know, I've sped up, looked down, I'm two, two dots into the red already. And, and so it makes it a little bit difficult. Coming from a, just a needle tack, that can be hard to do. And I, I do think he did a great job at, uh, at the, you know, hitting his marks, kept the car clean. But his flawless uh, execution of a race and his interview, I think, is a little <laughs> bit off from having three pit road speeding penalties. But, uh, you know, he did do a good job in, in, the, in the race car, and uh, he's got a second chance at Michigan. Yeah, and, and remember, this is the first time that he's really done this type of double duty. Yeah. You know what I mean? The first opportunity to go from the, the analog dash to the digital dash uh, to be able to understand what that's all about. And obviously, it caught him off guard. It caught him out. Uh, and it caught him out multiple times. And, and I think we heard it uh, yesterday when we, uh, we went on scan all where he said he just kept backing it down, backing it down, but he just kept getting speeding tickets. There was nothing he could do. I thought he did a, a really solid job on the racetrack. Um, I, I think he learned a valuable lesson with, with saying that the anger got the best of him when he passed out. Uh, because it, there are a lot more eyes on you, and you can't always be a, a smart butt uh, and just give a flippant answer at this level because people will run with it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he's certainly not one to be shy on social media. We've seen him there a lot, and now he's getting ready to make the jump to the bigger stage, of course. So will he make the cut in today's social pit stop? Last year at Darlington, Bubba Wallace and the rest of the Xfinity Series watched Elliot Sadler celebrate in victory. And last night, Sadler was celebrating, but not on the track. We'll explain.
big show tomorrow on NASCAR America. Parker Kligerman is going to hop into the sim, show us the speed of Michigan up close. Eric Jones is going to race at his home track in Michigan for the first time in a cup car. And back in 2012, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Steve Letart were the winning combination at Michigan. Steve now going to gauge Jr.'s chances for success this weekend. That's tomorrow at 6 Eastern right here on NBCSN. We will see you there. Out of line. Still clear. Go wherever you're not, probably. I was really worried about that 48. They've been pretty fast, but when this thing got in clean air, it was all over. you a highlight reel there it is we always deliver here on nascar america in all seriousness you have had a lot of success at michigan what are your keys for victory uh, i can't those are all secrets in case i get back in the <laughs> it's like get back in the car uh you know turn one and two a lot different than three and four and and you know it takes a car that rotates around the center of the corner even though you're at this big of a racetrack so uh aerodynamics and and everything has played such a role these days yeah. Uh, get these cars down on the racetrack, and and it's still dominated by downforce. This new repave uh, is 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 really good on the tires. Yeah, and this this place is there's so much corner at this place. It, it's it's deceiving. You think they're long straightaways, but when you get out there, it, it's all corner, and it's a handling racetrack. You got to have that power too, yeah. uh, but it is a handling racetrack. I was going to say, Kyle, I think it's a handling down the straightaway kind of racetrack because <laughs> you need a motor at this racetrack. It is incredibly fast. I can remember a couple years ago going there and being approaching 220 miles an hour in a stock car into turn one. It is the fastest racetrack we go to now in qualifying. The speeds will be near 200 miles an hour, and that is a different feel than everywhere else we go because it just has this feeling when you get to the start-finish line, unlike any other racetrack, you're still pulling. You're still increasing the speed down to turn one, and that's what makes it one of the best racetracks for drivers, at least. And it's been one of the best racetracks for Dale Hunter Jr. as well. I'm glad to see Wittard will be on the show tomorrow, Carolyn, because five years since they got their first win together in the 88 there. Yeah, that was a very significant milestone. Steve Wittard's going to shed some light on what Junior's been going through this year as well as we head to Michigan, and there's plenty more to discuss on the track. So that is all coming your way tomorrow at 6 Eastern. We'll be with you then. Thanks for being with us today. We'll see you tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.